back to Building Friendships. I am your host, John Sosis, and we are here with another good one. We are going to be doing some superhero sets with my very special nerdy guest. He's a comedian, one of the funniest. He he takes over in the late night. He brings all the snacks. Mikey snacks to some people. Yes. Give it up for Mike Black. Hi, everyone in America. I'm glad you're really, you're focused on America. YouTube is a yeah. global platform, but we're only talking to the American. Right. I yeah. only play in America. We're focusing on the most important people right. on YouTube. Yeah. And that, that's that's America. Hello um, to China as well. <laughs> China's a, China's Very a good important. market for this yeah. stuff. Yeah. yeah. I, that was a good move. I didn't think about that. Um, so today we are doing some superhero sets. So the set I got from Mike, a limited edition set. Yes, I from, do. Uh, this this came out during the pandemic from DC Fandom. They had a special event. They they released some limited sets. This is a replica of the famous comic book cover from Wonder Woman where Cheetah was uh, introduced. So oh, this that's is a, cool. Yeah, yeah, that's a replica set of that comic book. It looks pretty cool. We're going to see how far we could get. This is already far better than the movie. Yeah. Oh, my God. We could talk about that movie. Um, and I will be – I mean, it's Morbin time, guys. We're doing what? <laughs> we're doing Miles Morales's car, which is relevant since the movie just came out uh, across the Spider Verse, and it comes with the first Morbius minifigure. And yeah, it's Morbin time. Let's get started. And that's a very cool looking Morbius. It's, it looks like he did in the in the Silver Age sort of. Hate yeah, and it's, it's yeah from the animated series also from the nineties yeah. uh, Fox series. Yeah, where he had the big flared out seventies yeah. vampire yeah, yeah. collar. And he had that <laughs> you nice know? looking coat. Here's the weird thing about Lego, and at some point I do want to get some Marvel directors on here. They create yeah. vehicles and stuff that like didn't exist Couldn't anywhere. Possibly no. have been, yeah. And I'm always curious because the uh, the Marvel movies. Let's get started. But the Marvel sure. movies, um, the Marvel movies are always so secretive that I start to wonder if the directors get scared that the Le Lego basically is given maybe a few pieces of the movie, like, hey, there's a motorcycle in here. You can create a motorcycle that's a replica of something in the movie. We'll show you the motorcycle. But right. then there's other things like the, um, like for Marvel, one of the Lego sets was the Hulk Buster, but for um, War Machine, the War Machine Hulk okay, Buster. Yeah. And I'm like, as a director, I would, or or as the studio, I would hate for something that's not in the movie to be created as if it was in the movie where it might turn people off. Like, I would be furious if I'm creating this movie and all these sets are coming. Do you think anyone would have been turned off by the, the war machine? Not, okay, uh, so this is, that's, that's, that's why it brings me to that, to that. There were, when, when those sets got announced, there were so many people I, it, like online that were furious about they were it. mad they were like oh this movie's gonna suck there's a war machine hulkbuster <laughs> unacceptable yeah and i was like what do you expect it's the same character in every movie they need to create some new things you know where that started was the kenner star wars stuff yes you know they started doing all these like wacky for the second movie more uh off camera vehicles and stuff like that and people were like yeah. I, I never saw that in the movie because it didn't exist yeah it was they just they needed to sell some stuff at christmas time basically and so, well that you know people don't understand that in the marvel movies that uh in the marvel movies there's a reason that these characters sometimes only have they get their new suit at the end of the movie yeah and the sequel it's a brand new movie it's like well they're not going to sell the same toy for four years it, like exactly. the same cycle yeah, because back in the '90s, and you know this, and like we're we're obviously getting deep into the nerd world. 
<laughs> toys were created to sell the TV, uh, created before the TV show. Right. It was, they created toys, then they created the cartoon to, to help sell, sell the, toy. the toys. Yeah. And we're sort of getting back into that, the way that Hasbro is kind of creating a, a universe based on toys versus creating the universe that the toys then come from. Exactly. And I believe Transformers was on that list. Transformers, G.I. Joe, Joe He-Man. Turtles. He-Man was the blueprint for it. it that was the, the one that they one, really yeah. started it with, where they had tried to sell the toys just by themselves. And like Castle Grayskull was so scary that the, the guy at Toys R Us was like, we're not going to carry that thing. Then they put it on a hit cartoon and they were like, uh, we can't order enough yeah. of those. Get them in the building as quick as you can. And it's funny, like that's how that's just how it worked. It's like, let's build a sh and that's why the shows were probably the quality that they were. Yeah. I think there was a big part of it that was just well, we just need something on TV that's gonna help sell this that isn't a 30-second ad. Right. You know, and instead it was a 30-minute ad <laughs> that that played every day and that kids were rushing home to see, you know, and like, it all kind of goes back to Star Wars where what happened was the uh, head of Mattel, George Lucas came to him and was like, I got this great movie. People are gonna love it. You guys gotta make toys. And they were like, yeah, in like two years, we'll have toys ready. And then he was like, uh, the movie comes out this summer. And they were like, oh, well, we can't do that. So they said, no. They said no to the Star Wars license. <laughs> and so they got screwed. This other company was That's like- That's where Kenner took it. Kenner took it and they were like, we'll do IOUs at Christmas and kids will get the toys when they get them, but we're gonna sell your toys, don't you fret? And so Mattel has all this egg on their face, right? They're like, they're the company that royally screwed themselves. Yeah. And so they were like, we need something. And that's where He-Man came in. And then they started doing all this legislation to get like, oh, if you put like 20 seconds of educational material in your cartoon, the other 29% can be pure advertising. And thems was the Reagan years, you know? <laughs> what, do you remember what your first uh, toy was? My very first- Like your first like, action figure? Yeah, my very first action figure was a Mego Spider-Man. And okay. that was, they were about like eight inches tall, somewhere around there. And they each had like full on cloth costumes that if you had any sort of pets, it was just a matter of time till they ripped all their clothes off and chewed them to pieces, you know. But uh, yeah, Mego Spider-Man was pretty cool. And they, even back then they did some cool like weird, uh, variant sort of offshoot stuff where they had like a Spider-Man that had web shooters, but his web shooters were basically an, a rubber arm full of glue. <laughs> and so it was just a license to make a mess. It was just terrible. Oh man. Yeah, I, I, am... I think I was big on the police academy. Do you remember that? Oh yeah. That that to this day, and, and I'll pop it up on the screen, has one of the creepiest toys ever. The hand handcuffs. With their handcuffs, yes. but they're made, they're human they, hands. They're human hands and they grip on, and you're like. To this day, the, most terrifying toy I've ever owned. science behind this is not it's good. out of control. It's like, you basically have reanimated dead hands. And they were white hands. <laughs> white hands. <laughs> yeah, it was, yeah, some of those toys were real questionable in the police academy. And in the 80s, they had no problem making a hard R-rated movie 
into a toy line. Yeah. Because there was Police Academy. RoboCop got a toy line. Robo- the Toxic Avenger got a toy line. Uh, Aliens, Predator, all that stuff eventually made it into like fun little Kenner toys and stuff like that. It was a totally crazy time. But there's back like, when people knew how to have fun. Yeah, and the, and the cocaine was just better at that that, that, at that time. You know, oh, ugh, I messed up already. That's that's uh, that's the fun of this. Wonder Woman was supposed to have a skirt on. And that's sexist. In my dumb mind, I was like, ah, she looks great without a skirt. But <laughs> she, it's clearly part of her. It's part of the attire. Full it's look. Part of her charm. I saw the Star Spangled underwear, and I was like, "She's done. What do I have to worry about?" But no, there you go. She needed that extra, um, so, extra bit of patriotism. So let's talk, Mike Black. When did are you? Where are you from originally? I was born in San Antonio, Texas. Okay, but we moved when I was like two, and we moved to Aurora, Colorado. Okay, which you know has an infamous sort of history now. But it was a good, you know, suburbs to live in. But honestly, if you weren't like super into sports or religion, it gave you motivation to leave, (laughs) you know. That makes sense. So I was not really into those. I did a lot of like theater and stuff like that when I was a kid. Uh, And it was also home of the uh, official Star Wars fan club and the official Star Trek fan club. Both got started there, I think, by the same dude and in his apartment, most likely. But if you joined, you got like a little card and everything. And they Is would that what send got you a you? magazine. Is that what got you to, to, to get into all of this stuff? Or were you into it regardless? I was already full bore into it because I had two older brothers that were into like all sorts of fantasy and D&D and that sort of stuff. And so some of that carried over but i got real into comic books more than fantasy and D stuff yeah and so it, it also was how i was able to learn because i was not the best reader and i was not the best studier but some of my teachers figured out that it's like oh he'll read a lot if you just make it a comic book he'll yeah. he'll read all day long you know and our library at our school had one of those books that was like it was just all the Marvel origin stories reprinted in like a big volume. And I checked that thing out and had it for like the whole year. And finally at the end of the year, the librarian was like, uh, you can either pay your late fee or just buy the book from us. Yeah, we you may as well back. just buy the book, you know, and we'll get a new copy, you know. Yeah, one of the things I always tell people, like my favorite charity to donate to is uh, Toys for Tots. Oh yeah, Because of course. I just don't think... I'd have the creative, like the the creative brain that I have without the toys I grew up with. Absolutely. So like the toys, the books, the comic books, all of that. I just don't think I would have any of that without the toys. And I feel like nope. regardless of all the other things you could give to a child that doesn't have access to things as, as living in poverty, I feel for some reason I still think toys are the best thing you could give them. I think you're absolutely right. And... It's one of those things that because Spider-Man had comic books and because he had shampoo and uh, coloring books and action figures, dolls, all these different things, it all kind of blended together and you realize that there was a connectivity in learning. Yeah. And that when you were learning one thing about one thing, you were also learning a lot about all these other things too. 
And so I think you're absolutely 100% spot on on that. I hear a lot of stories about people whose parents wouldn't let them read comic books. It, like they didn't consider I had reading neighbors just, that were like, yeah. And it's just a weird thing to like reading is reading as far as I'm concerned. So if a kid's learning to read, it doesn't matter what they're reading. Obviously, if they're reading Mein Kampf, we got a problem. Sure. But uh, yeah, the grow, growing up, it was always if it was something I was actually interested in on a personal level, I was way more likely to take something away from it. Yep. Yeah. Like, I think history is important in terms of learning from mistakes of the past, but I never enjoyed history. I was always like, tell me the big events that, tell me about the Holocaust, tell me about World War II. Like, I just want to learn the big events. I don't want to get too into detail. I want to know how we got from point A to point B. And then from there, I want to sort of leave history in the past and learn about new stuff, learn about technology, learn about superheroes, like creative things. It was, yeah. it was I was really bad in school. Yeah, I was too. So having something that was interesting to me always made it easier for me to digest it and actually learn from it. Yeah, and I found like if learning could could simultaneously be a form of escape. Yeah. That was very helpful to me because I was an odd duck, as you might or might not imagine as a kid. I refuse to believe that. And uh, (laughs) so, yeah, it took a while for me to find my groove and uh, make friends and stuff like that. And, uh, and I was sick all the time. Like, I just didn't understand how germs worked and how, like, the <laughs> I was wind. was licking things. <laughs> yeah, and, like, winter. And, like, I, I would do anything you could do to get sick, I would find a way to do it. And I've had an enormous head my whole life. And so my body caught up, clearly. But, like, okay. when I was a kid, it was, like, a little stick figure body and this enormous head. I actually looked a lot like a South Park character as a little kid. <laughs> and... But I loved doing cartwheels and like somersaults. That and stuff is a like very that. specific thing that you enjoyed doing. <laughs> I really did. We had this great big uh, field behind our house, and I would go out there and I would do that, and I would get whiplash <laughs> from like my body wasn't able to withstand the the impact of me doing cartwheels I couldn't, I couldn't and stuff do, like yeah, that. Yeah, <laughs> I couldn't do like I, I think now my body's more proportionate, but I was I was very out of shape as as a younger kid. Sure. The idea of my legs going over my head was not a re, a, rea, a realistic <laughs> thing to me. Right. Yeah, and so I was I had a lot of enthusiasm for athleticism, but I did not have the the physicality for it. Yeah, you know, and uh, so I would get injured quite a lot, and then that. <laughs> Uh, turned into like me not wanting to do any sports for a long period of time. And I was like, I'll just sit at home and watch He-Man and eat Doritos. What could go wrong there? <laughs> Absolutely like, nothing. Yeah. I, think, I, think it, I think it's pretty solid. <laughs> yeah. So when, when did you get into comedy? Uh, I loved comedy since I was a little kid. I was very, very lucky that I had brothers that were big fans of comedy and both of my parents were as well was there a specific comic uh robin williams was my go-to guy as a kid and still kind of is in a lot of ways yeah um it's now it's really hard to pick a favorite the older i get but he's way the hell up there still and uh me and my brothers were watching mork and mindy and we were like I was just having the time of my life watching that show because it was in that era where towards the end of the show where he brought Jonathan Winters on to play his son and it was two just ballers just eating up scenery for a half hour. It was great. And so my brother was watching me watch the show 
And he was like, what do you want to do when you grow up, Mike? And I was like, I want to do that. And he was like, you want to be an alien? And I was like, no, no. But secretly the answer was yes. I was like, God, yes, do I want to be an alien? But I understood that that was crazy. Even as a kid, I was like, no, what, what they're doing, I want to pretend for a living. And he was like, oh, okay. And after I told him that, he started uh, bringing home comedy albums because that was a big thing in the like 80s. Yeah. Like Billy Crystal, Eddie Murphy, all these different people had records that were basically just stand-up specials before there were stand-up specials. And he would like sneak me downstairs to listen to them because they had a lot of cuss words in them and stuff like that, you know? And so, and my dad caught us and the only hard and fast rule he had because... You got to keep in mind, he was a kid raised in the 50s. Yeah. He didn't want Cheech and Chong. That was his one hard and fast rule was he was like, I don't want any drug humor. He's too little for that. That's he can't. Fair. He can't be hearing that sort of stuff. And my brother was like, okay. And then immediately went and bought Cheech and Chong albums and brought those. That'll do it. it. <laughs> yeah. And so, yeah. So it was, I was very lucky. And then he got a job at a movie theater and I got free passes to everything you know, even when he wasn't there. And it was one of those back when they had multiplexes. It was like okay. 20 screens. So I was seeing shit in the theater that nobody was seeing even on home video or on like HBO or anything like that. I like, if it was a B movie of that era, I probably saw it in the theater. Like I saw Troll, Critters 2, all sorts of stuff like that. Like way before anyone else. Kids at school thought I was making up half the movies that I saw. Is Star Wars your favorite movie? Uh, no, it is not. What's your favorite movie? Mm, God, that is tough. I, I would mean, have you give me what like a top like a I'll, movie in your top five. I, it's a very I'll hard you, question. Yeah. I do like a genre version of it. Like I could I could tell you my favorite movie in every genre. Okay, that's uh, a little bit easier. But even that is difficult for me. But I will I will try it. Let's go. Um, my favorite comedy is one that most people are like, what? And it's Raising Arizona. Oh, interesting. Because I have never not wanted to watch that movie. That That's what I was... So we have the horror <laughs> podcast here. Shout out to Katie right. on yeah, the board. Yeah, hey, Katie. Uh, and we were talking to Anthony Jeselnik, and it, it, like one of the things that I that I consider when, I, when talking about how I rate a movie mm-hmm. is how many times I could watch it or my ability to keep watching it or rewatch yes. it. A lot That's of people a see a movie once part. and they never see it again. I'm like, well, if yeah. you rated that high, I don't. I think your rating charts off. Right. If yeah. I movie, see a movie ten times, we've now crossed the five above yeah. five, and then from there, I could give you a good solid rating based on how many. Things That's I a much more it. realistic rating for me. That that fits with my metric too. Where, uh, yeah, it's like the performances in it are so good. It's so well written. It's so quotable. The, yeah. That opening 10-minute segment before the title even comes up, uh, where it's just Nicolas Cage uh, explaining the situation. Yeah. The whole part with the bounty hunter, his introduction in the nightmare, uh, and him just riding down the street, and he throws the grenade at the rabbit. And he's like, he was especially hard on the little things. I was like, Jesus Christ. And then we're not even in all that far when John Goodman is brought in and he just annihilates his part through yeah. the entire movie. It's so good. And it's one of those that I saw it when I was a kid and I was like, ah, oh, that was a pretty good movie. Then I saw it again later in life and I was like, 
I have a feeling this movie gets better the older you get, and it does. There are a few of those. <laughs> you know? Like my, I would say that's my. Those are my favorite movies, also. So like, I would say my top three are are Weekend at Bernie's. Oh, that's Robin really Hood, Men in Tights. Yeah, and Clueless was the one where. You have to get older, but also you have to live in L.A. at some point or yes. visit L.A. for a long period yeah. of time. Clueless, I think, is just I, – I won't say underrated. I think a lot of people like it, but it is just a start-to-finish genius movie. It doesn't really – it has a small plot to it. There's not a real big story that you have to follow. It's just the insanity of some high school kids in L.A. And it's <laughs> right. It's really just a well-written, well-directed the cast, everything is perfect about that. And it's quotable. I think that goes into my rating as Absolutely well. Absolutely too. Where Weekend at Bernie's I don't think is as quotable, but it no, makes me but laugh good, so fucking hard. Yeah. And just credit to the guy who played Bernie. Oh my God. For the ego you have to put aside for that. Oh yeah. And also the commitment to that yes. face that, you know, <laughs> I'm just going to stick with this smirk the entire movie. Yeah. And, like, I know they use dummies and stuff here and there, but the scenes that, that he was there playing it, you've got to be a really smart and gifted comedian to pull that off. That's a movie where, you know, you, the blooper reel was probably, I still oh, never I seen even one. And I, I should probably look it up since it is one of my favorite movies, but that must be a phenomenal blooper reel. Oh, yeah. Well, uh, his performance ties in, oddly enough, to one of my, by far my favorite action movie, Terminator 2. Really? Okay. Yeah. Um, and the performances in that, where there are these really elaborate fight scenes where people are like, Arnold's getting his head thrown through a window and shit like that, and he's not allowed to change his expression he just has at to be a all. Robot. Yeah. And it's like, everyone kind of has this preconceived idea of him as like, well, he's Arnold. He's going to be fine. It's not a big deal. But it's like, he's still a human being, and it's still your face getting thrown through plate yeah. glass window, you know. And uh, the, the other Austrians, guy, man. Yeah, it's that uh, Austrian blood. <laughs> yeah, just keep hitting me in the face. We're getting <laughs> exactly. an Oscar. We're gonna get this one. <laughs> but you know, there's that fun story about uh, the first Terminator, where James Cameron, he came up to James Cameron and he goes, "I don't think the dialogue's right. I don't think a computer would say I'll be back. That's a contraction. The computer would say I will be back." And Cameron looked at him and went. I'm the fucking writer. You're the fucking actor. Say what I wrote. And so he was like, to his credit, he was right. <laughs> you know? It, and, you know, that's my favorite part of the commentary on Armageddon. Uh -huh. You ever hear the Armageddon commentary with Ben A Affleck? A long, long time ago. So Ben Affleck uh, goes, well, I went, to, I, went to, uh, I went to Michael Bay and I was like, listen, this is a little bit messy. Like, wouldn't it be easier to train astronauts to drill versus train drillers to be astronauts? Uh -huh. And he goes, Michael Bay looked at me and said, shut the fuck up. <laughs> <laughs> and I feel like yeah. that's such a good, that it's is, such a good, like, he's not wrong, but you have to, right. what are we going to do? Rewrite the movie right yeah. now? It's like, why, why are we even talking about this? Yeah. And it's like, sometimes... The mess is there because the mess is more yeah. interesting. You know, it's like, yeah, logically that would make much more sense to do. <laughs> well, that, that's the other thing. Sometimes you have to look at the movie you're making and yeah. realize the movie you're making. I don't mm -hmm. think anybody on the set of Face Off with Tra Travolta and Nick Cage were like, wait, 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 this doesn't feel scientifically accurate. <laughs> yeah. How do we... These men have different skulls. It wouldn't yeah. make sense. How does this <laughs> Nobody brought that up. Everybody yeah. was on board from day one. This is great. Let's do it. I, I like to think Gina Gershon brought it up 
day one. Do you think so? <laughs> she just came in and was like, look, guys, this doesn't, guys, this doesn't feel right. This doesn't I seem mean, right. Is this how it would go? Shut the fuck up, Gina. And, it's a little too late. And I've never been more in love with Gina Gershon than in that movie. Oh, she's she so good in that. So good. Um, so when did you get past at the store? Just jumping around. Oh, okay. Um, God, that was 2001? That long ago. I'm an aged <laughs> uh, vampire comic. But yeah, I there I had two different showcases, but the important one was the one to be a, a paid regular here. Okay. And at that time they showcased you to be a non-paid regular and then they showcased you to be a paid regular. And uh Ari it was all kind of like set up in my favor where like Ari was running interference with Mitzi. He was Got sitting it. next to her. And then Bobby Lee had recommended me. And it was all kind of like a guy getting made in the mob, that sort of thing at that time, you know. And my car broke down the day of the showcase. Oh, no. Like an hour before. Oh, no. So I was like on the bus going over my act in my head. And they they told me. You have 10 minutes, so, you know, do your best 10 minutes no matter what, and don't deviate from it. And if she calls you over, say hi to her. If she doesn't, leave her the hell alone and just yeah. walk out of the room. So I'm thinking about all this on the bus, and I'm like, I tell the bus drivers, like, can you stop in, in front of the comedy store? He's like, you want me to stop in front of the comedy store? I was like, you're right, stop a block ahead of the comedy <laughs> store, and I'll walk the rest of the way. So I get out and I'm like walking now to the comedy store. Already I feel like I failed because my car's broken and everything. And I was like, this is terrible. And so I get there and uh, the guy running the, the light in the cover booth goes, uh, we had some unexpected guests. So instead of 10 minutes, you're doing five. And I'm like, Fucking great. Okay. So I'm like <laughs> editing in my head down to five minutes and I'm like, okay, okay. And then it gets to the point where I'm next. And now you could cut the tension with a knife in me. And I'm just like, uh, just freaking out, getting ready. And Polly is, has been in the room this whole time and he gets up to leave. And he asks Ari, he goes, uh, what's going on? And he goes, oh, Mike Black is up next. He's uh, showcasing to be a paid regular. And he's like, cool, I'm out of here. And then he starts to leave and he realizes how bad that looked to, to be like, oh, Mike's up next, I'm out of here. And he has this moment of like self-awareness and he turns around, finds me and he goes, Mike, I'm so glad you're showcasing tonight. He does this in front of his mom. He goes, I'm so glad you're showcasing tonight. Gives me a big hug. And he goes, you're going to do great. And then he leaves. And I was like, that changed everything. everything. And it took like all the tension out of me and everything. Was, you know? he, was he already MTV Polly? Yes. Yeah, he was. 2001. Yeah, he was so, well so, into his career. So he had some credibility if he said something like that. Exactly. And, and, all, and with her for sure, you know. Yeah. And so he, uh, he does that. It. I don't remember anything that I said during the, the actual showcase. I'm supposed to turn it this way. What the hell? Anyway, uh, so he does that. I do my set. It goes really good. Uh, and she calls me over and she goes, how did you come to us? And I, I said, on the bus. Oh, and she no. goes, no, idiot. <laughs> 
like, who recommended you? And I was like, Bobby Lee. And she's like, okay, you're a regular now. Go away. Go. <laughs> and, and I was like, okay. And so I left. And Ari was like, how'd it go? I was like, I told him what I said. And he was, yeah. like, he was like, you're an idiot. But congratulations, you know. That's perfect. And so, yeah. So it was a fun fun way to have it go it could i've heard real nightmares and i've had friends go through like some of my friends showcased 40 times before they got passed and stuff and so i kind of lucked out on that and then i got to go on the road with dice almost immediately after that eleanor kind of nudged him she was like um, oh, you know she would like anytime i did anything she would be like you know, Dice Mike was just in a Super Bowl commercial and oh, he's really gosh. funny. And he'd be like, oh, okay. And so he took me on the road with him and it was a lot of fun. That's cool, though. Yeah. And um, where yeah. did, last question before we wrap it up, but where oh did God. Mikey Snacks come from? I haven't even broken ground yet. I feel like a union worker. Oh, we'll worker. get to there. <laughs> you are 12 pieces deep. <laughs> I was like, I, I'm doing this like, like I'm getting paid hourly. But wait, what was the question? Uh, where did Mikey Snacks come from? You are so he's he's uh, he's everyone's favorite on a late <laughs> afternoon show, late evening show because he yes. brings the, the the last round of energy that people are going to have <laughs> that actually comes with every snack he could he could possibly uh, get his hands on. I'll tell you, I wasn't sure myself where that came from. I just uh, like I brought donuts one night. And then the reaction that everyone gave, and they were all so nice and so happy about it, that I was like, I'm going to bring donuts again next week. But what I realized is that came from being on the road with maybe the nicest comic I ever met, God rest his soul, John Panette. Oh, who, from Punisher fame. Yes, from Punisher. And he had a, he was the guy they didn't help in the final episode of Seinfeld. Yes. And uh, he's, he's has a marvelous career aside from that Broadway star and all sorts of stuff. But the first time I worked with him, the first thing he did when he saw me was he gave me a hundred bucks. He said, thanks for coming out and being my feature tonight. And then he offered me some avocado and he said, I'm told it's the good fat like me. <laughs> and so we hit it off like right away. It was really nice. That weekend, this was at the Tempe Improv. Uh, at the end of the weekend... He threw a pizza party for the staff and gave them all signed autographed, well, redundant, but yeah, autographed copies yeah, of yeah. his uh, DVD. And everyone was just over the moon. He tipped everyone all the time for anything. You know, someone would hand him a napkin and he would tip them. And I asked him, I was like, you're, re you're probably the nicest comic I've met to your coworkers of anybody I, I was like were you always like that he was like i picked that up from mr s and i was like i didn't ask him then but like after a few working with him a few times i finally was like john i gotta know who was mr s and he was like oh mr sinatra and i was like you worked with frank sinatra he's like till the week before he died but he wanted rickles for that week <laughs> and i was like that's kind of sweet too and i guess when he worked when he told when sinatra told panette that he was like i'm going to be using rickles he said so I want you to do, kind of pass the torch to Rickles, you know, and like let him know there's no hard feelings that he's taken over, but yeah. he's got to be my guy for the for the end, pretty much. He he knew he was dying, and he was like, yeah. He goes, uh, so do whatever you want to do time wise tonight, and then introduce Rickles, and he'll bring me up. And he was like, okay. He knew it was his last show with him, 
So he does the most dynamite 10 minutes he's got. At the end of his set, he gets a standing ovation. And he's like crying because he knows it's his last set with Sinatra, who's been like so great to him. Yeah. Rickles comes up on stage, shakes his hand, gives him a big hug and goes, you'll get him next time. That's perfect. <laughs> you can't ask for a better That's thing a than that. perfect Rickles. You can't ask for a better uh, thing, you know? And so, so yeah. And so I thought like, I've always tried to treat people nice, yeah. but it was like, that guy was like, kind of like, do that. If you get to a yeah. level where you have the means, be like that. It's, it's, <laughs> you just, know? it's such a small thing to do. Like yeah. me, I, it was more of a bribery for me. When I started here, I would bring donuts every sure. <laughs> Yeah. And it was just, it this, was, it was like, this I'm is a new guy, be nice to me. Yeah. This is a pirate ship. Bribes work yeah. very well here. Yeah. So yeah. All right. Well, uh, where, where can they find you? Well, I guess let's start with the reveal because uh, <laughs> such actually, as it we'll is. start with mine. Okay. We got this done. We you got are the card shitting done. me. We got the card done. We got the minifigures done. We're good to go. Punch you right in the mouth. That's oh my god! Don't threaten me with a good time. <laughs> That's the worst thing I've ever. Yeah, we got I, everything done. We had. <laughs> can we? Can we see where you? You where you? I'd, were at? I'd rather you didn't. I I got the I got the people done. I think that's an important step. And then I've we're in the research and development phase. I mean, of you, the rest of it. <laughs> this is the saddest thing. I didn't know it was one, two, be this three, bad. four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. About 15 pieces it's in. It's sad that you can count, but yes, about yeah. 15 pieces in. But these all had pieces too. They didn't just come like this. Like I had to choose the hair. Yeah, no, that's, they I mean, you had to figure out that the cheetah head went on the cheetah person right. and not the, yeah. The, yeah. And they it. try to trick you because they all have different expressions on the back of their heads. Yeah, yeah. I don't I don't think Spider-Man has that problem. Uh, but so. <laughs> Morbius does. Damn it. Okay. So here's the deal. Uh, we have a new goal for this season. We're going to try and get someone to finish a set. I think that's our new goal. Has anyone finished a set I so mean, far? You're going to be probably in the in the middle of the season. We've only shot four episodes so far. The answer is no. I was um, really trying to do it right, and I got kind of and you mixed will. up. And you're going to send me a picture when your episode is out. We're going to post the finished product Yes. when you take it home and actually finish it. But oh, good. Yeah. For now, I was like... we, we basically have a platform, and that's it. <laughs> a, a staging area. If these three want to do Shakespeare in the Park, they're all set. Okay. So the answer is not a Lego store, but where can people find you? <laughs> At Mike Black is back. I'm pretty much on Instagram and TikTok is where I do everything. So, yeah. So check me out there or here. I'm here a lot. So cool. come see That's me. That's the here. comedy store. I won't be working here when these come out. But the comedy store <laughs> yes. West Hollywood. Um, yeah. Follow me at Sadie Sosis. What? What? Oh, I just got. We we got back from VidCon. This is how they say it. Smash the subscribe button. Just smash <laughs> it. You could click it, but if you smash it. It's much more helpful. It it makes me feel better. Uh, All right. Until next time. Thank you, Mike. Thank you.